one of the downfalls of business is that we want to say, everybody's my customer. If you want to pay me, you're my customer. You need to get into the habit as a potential business owner, as an employee, as anything in the habit and saying no. No, you are not my customer. You're not willing to do this. That therefore doesn't fit in my metrics. This is my buy box. This is this is who we service. This is who what it is. So I got to be very selection. Now, one of the ways that you select is the way you position and price yourself in the market. Yo, 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 what's up, everybody? Welcome to another episode of the Founder Podcast. So today, it's going to be a completely unique podcast. As you can see, I don't have my normal background. For those that are watching on YouTube or Spotify, today I'm joining you from Harvard Business School. Here's my little uh, my little drink, Harvard Business School, with my little water, my little name tag. Right now, I'm in the OPM program. That stands for... Uh, owners president's management program it's a very unique maybe you guys have heard me talk about it on other episodes so essentially what it is is it's owners from throughout the world only about 25 percent of the owners here are from the united states owners from throughout the world that are running really successful businesses they get together it's a three-year program we live together for three weeks it's pretty crazy so like this is my little uh, living quarters um i'll actually just kind of Describe to you the the living circumstances, but in order to get in, it's it's really competitive. There's thousands of applicants, and so to get in, we have 168 uh, total students that are that are a part of our cohort. They start a cohort in the fall and a cohort in the spring. Um, we are OPM 62. They've been doing this for 31 years. It's absolutely phenomenal. We got incredible incredible people that are doing like all kinds of crazy things we've got one lady that owns 50 airports in south america we have will i am uh who's a famous musician and founder of beats uh i got uh, one of one of my roommates is a is a top five developer in dubai we got the largest tire manufacturer in or the second largest tire manufacturer in the world along with i mean it's just crazy i mean the, the level of people that I've been able to connect with is absolutely phenomenal. This is year number two. And so what I decided to do is actually share with you some of the incredible things that I am learning and developing here at OPM. And, uh, and I'm going to do a couple of special episodes uh, regarding this. So this is episode number one coming from Harvard and excited to share with you guys. I got some of my notes, got my little remarkable put together notes on the iPhone course, scratch paper, all the, all the good stuff that, uh, that we've got this. But uh, as I promised, I'll tell you a little bit of our living situation. So um, I have just kind of like a little hotel room. It's got a bed, um, got a full bath. This one's a little, uh, this is year number two of three. Our first year, we stayed in a little bit nicer. They have three different dormitory areas here in the Harvard Business School uh, program for OPM members. And, uh, and the way it works is you have a living group. There's eight people in your living group. Um, each of us live on the same hall. So if you go out in the hall, it's kind of like a little hotel hall, eight rooms off of it. At the end of the hall is an executive boardroom. It's got a, it's got a conference table, whiteboard, computers, printers, everything. And then, and then, uh, right by there's a small kitchen with a bunch of snacks, drinks. And then, uh, and then there's a living room that, that's set up just to, to hang out, watch football, TV and that type of stuff. So it's an incredible setup. They feed us every single day, breakfast, lunch, and dinner. We have a lot of opportunities to go out and, and hang. Um, we're in class Monday through Saturday. So today is Saturday, the 16th. 
And so today was day number six. Saturday's a half day. Every other day, we're getting up. Uh, we're meeting with our study groups at 7 a.m. We're with them until four o'clock. A lot of times we have group activities afterwards in which we're doing group coaching sessions, talking through things that are working in our business, things that aren't. I mean, it's absolutely phenomenal. So I pay $50,000 a year to be a part of this program to, to attend here for, for three weeks. And I would absolutely say it's the best money that I've ever spent. And if that's something that you would ever like to be a part of, you do have to have somebody in the program that recommends you, writes a letter of recommendation. Um, if you know me or you'd like to get to know me and you want, want to be a part of this program, I'm more than happy to endorse if, uh, if, you, if you are a good fit for it. Go ahead and message me on Instagram. If you're not following me on Instagram, make sure you're doing that at Chris Lee QB, like quarterback. Chris Lee, C-H-R-S-L-E-E-Q-B. And uh, that's a great way that we connect. Follow me, message me, DM me. And uh, I respond and run my my own stuff. So um, not all the not all the videos are put together by me personally. They're put together by my team. But uh, I do manage my own Instagram account. So with that being said, let's talk about just some of the incredible things. So we have classes on strategy, finance, marketing, global markets. I mean, literally, there's all kinds of stuff. And and way that this uh, the way it's structured is we do anywhere from three to four case studies a day. And these case studies are 15 page papers that are written by Harvard professors. They went and they studied this actual business gave a background on them, what what's going on with them, some of the challenges that they face, and then we have to make some decisions. And so um, every single day we get together and we, um, we preview these case studies after we've already studied them ourselves, any exhibits and everything that go along with it. And then when we get together in class, we split up in two groups, one of uh, about 85 in, in each group. And we have a professor that teaches based off of these principles. And then we debate things over, over the, the case study and what we would do as business owners and like what's the best move method. And, and it's interesting because sometimes the class will be very divided on, on like what the best way to handle a certain situation because everybody's got different backgrounds, different industries. And so it's a, it's a very unique opportunity. And so what I'm going to focus on from this podcast is just a, a few things in marketing um, also negotiations, which is one of my favorite classes. I love to negotiate, love just to understand that whole uh, detail. But let's uh, let's talk about. So today uh, we actually had an incredible marketing class by a professor. His name is Das Narandas. Um, he is uh, orig originally from India. This guy's super aggressive. If you aren't prepared, he will annihilate you. I mean, it is crazy. And even if you are prepared, and he decides to pick on you. He's going to try to make you look stupid. And he keeps the whole class completely on their toes. In fact, today we met together as a whole group, 165 people. He had people on their edge of the seats just diving in. Uh, we studied the case study of uh, this, uh, this pest control company in which they go and they service high-end pest control uh, services with, with uh, hospitals, uh, hotels, restaurants, their packages can start anywhere from like $45,000 startup to an $8,000 monthly maintenance fee. They will charge anywhere between six and 10 times the, the market rate for their type of services. And because they do not believe in pest control, they believe in pest elimination. And, and there lies some of the incredible things is when you talk about, think about marketing, think about strategy, think about guarantees. The one thing that made this, this company super unique 
was their guarantee. They said, look, if you see bugs, if you're staying in a hotel room and you see a cockroach or anything else, not only will we cover the cost of that customer's stay that night, we'll give them a free stay in your hotel the next time that, that they decide to come. And so they provide this incredible guarantee. Um, they also will pay fines in the event that like there's health code issues at a restaurant. Uh, they will, um, if you decide to go with another service because Bugs wasn't uh, up to, because uh, Bugs Killer Company wasn't up to speed for you, they will actually pay for six months of your service with another company. Like they had this remarkable, remarkable guarantee that, and because of it, it held their employees to a super high level of excellence, knowing that if they weren't excellent, if they didn't deliver this incredible extermination, that they were killers, not just controllers. So they didn't just do pest control. They did pest elimination. And if their employees didn't perform at that level, the what they had to pay for non-performance was extreme. And so that in and of itself held their employees to a super high level of performance. It's internal marketing uh, from this standpoint. And the remarkable thing is these guys do uh, close to $40 million a year in this case study. And they only paid out $2,000 a month in these guarantees. It's because, once again, they held their employees to such high standards. And because of what that they what they paid, they reduced the level of maintenance from these customers. These weren't high-maintenance customers. They expected greatness. They expected excellence. But they also weren't unreasonable. The other incredible thing that Bugs Killers did was created buy-in. And this is a principle for all business owners. With the more buy-in that you can create with your customers, the more they're going to realize the value that you are bringing to the table. And let me give you an example from this particular case. So what happened with Bugs Killers is they would actually come in at night and perform uh, on a restaurant, they would come and do the extermination, come in like full hazmat suits. They're spraying, they're killing, they're trapping. They're doing like this full crazy, uh, you know, once a month service in which they're doing. But in preparation for that, what they required from their customers was a beautiful, neat, well-maintained area. And if they did not have it, say if there was like uh, towels underneath a, uh, you know, a cooktop or something like that, they would literally gather the garbage, put it in the middle of the floor and put a note that says, hey, we don't appreciate that you didn't keep this place clean. We need to clean. This eliminates the bugs. This allows us to do our job. Da, 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 da. And basically gives them the choice and says like, like, because we value killing all your bugs or whatnot, we chose to do this and we left this so that you could realize. Anyway, so they demand a lot from their customers. I know too often in today's society, we just don't demand enough from our, our from our customers. We like whatever the customer wants, I'm just gonna give it. And I'm gonna I'm gonna let them take advantage of me and this, that, and the other, rather than creating a buy-in. So there there was a legitimate buy-in in which the cook would get down on his hands and knees and clean and, and dust and get things out. And not only would he prepare it for it, but then he would realize, and this was actually an incredible point made by Will I am today in our class. The cook would realize what they could do in the future to prevent such a mess, right? And because understanding that that this is what we're going to have to do to prepare for, I might as well take better action. So in turn, it created excellence within the business that this pest control or this pest extermination company uh, serviced. So you get better service from the cook, better service from the employees or whatever. It, it's 
quite the remarkable thing. And so Doss talked about four different S's in, when, when you're setting up a business. Number one is select. Number two is serve. Number three is satisfy. And fourth is survive. And he says also and thrive, but he said four S's sounds better than four S's in a T. So survive and thrive. Uh, so the four S's. So select who, like who is my end customer? Too often, one of the downfalls of business is that we want to say everybody's my customer. If you want to pay me, you're my customer. You need to get into the habit as a potential business owner, as an employee, as anything in the habit and saying no. No, you are not my customer. You're not willing to do this. That therefore doesn't fit in my metrics. This is my buy box. This is this is who we service. This is who what it is. So I got to be very selection. Now, one of the ways that you select is the way you position and price yourself in the market. So Bugs Killer in this in this particular um, case study positioned himself positioned himself six to ten times more expensive than the rest of the market. But when you pulled like different customers or different uh, people in the industry, they said, you know, there's bugs killers. He's number one. And then number two is like way down here. We're not just talking about price charging. We're talking about value created and culture created within, within the market. And so you got to be very particular. And, and here's the interesting thing. This is it all has to do with your business and applies to your, to your customer. And your customer is twofold. One, your customer is your employee and two is your end user, whoever's purchasing the product from you. So you got to be very selective in who is going to be servicing my customers. So you got to have an incredible hiring process in place. You got to do different things to make sure you are selecting out from the very beginning who is going to be servicing my customer and who are they going to be servicing. So this is the this is the who. And uh, let me just go on a quick side note. It's remarkable what these guys did for their hiring process. It would take them in a new market, 400 candidates to get to one person hired, 400. They would do a, uh, they, they would do personality tests. They would do a lie detection system. Like, I mean, they would do, they would interview their family. This would all be done by uh, center central by their corporate headquarters before they even put them in the branch and let them interview with, with the manager. And then on top of that, once they were hired, get this, this is on freaking real, a six month training program. Six months. Who in their freaking right mind is training their employees? I mean, we're talking about killing bugs. These are the technicians to kill bugs. Like it's like, See a bug, step on a bug, see a bug, spray a bug, see a bug, burn a bug, see a bug, trap a bug. Like, can there be much more to that? Can there be much more? Six months of which five months were spent in the classroom and a full month out shadowing, running a route, doing these different things. And, and so what it did was on the same principle that created buy-in from the customers where they had to do this work and this preparation and all, all these things in order to receive the service. Same thing, same exact principle. It creates the buy-in from the customer. These guys would spend $15,000 before they even, on an employee, before they could even potentially start to help towards revenue for the business. Like that's how committed this guy was. They call him Bugs as a, uh, um, as a nickname was to their culture, to what they were providing, to excellence. 
you know, and I'm not saying that you have to go out and create, but just understand that this methodology worked. They understood who they selected those employees and, and did so and made sure that this is going to be the right person. They showed that level of commitment. And in turn, the employee was able to create this true buy-in into the culture, into the way, the service, how things are done around here at Bugs Killers. The second one is, is serve. How are we going to serve? What, what is that going to look like? And it's interesting when, when you talk about like the difference between a four-star and a five-star hotel. It's not the bed. Okay. It's, it's not even necessarily the accommodations, right? You get very similar accommodations, similar bed or whatnot. It's the level of service for anybody that's ever stayed at a five-star hotel. When you show up and you show up with kids and they have like a little gift waiting for the kids or, or, and then like on a second day, they come and they deliver a stuffed animal to the room because they know that you have a three-year-old there or whatever it may be. You know, my first experience ever with just five-star service was I was staying, staying at a resort in Park City and uh, it was for a conference. And I went, I left my room for a couple hours to go to the conference and I came back and in my bathroom was just this little gift bag. Could have cost no more than a dollar, a dollar fifty. Inside it was a little travel toothpaste and a handwritten note that said, hey, it, look, it looks like you're almost out of toothpaste. Please ha take this on us. We appreciate you staying with us. Boom. How, how am I going to serve? How am I going to create those wow experiences for my customer that separate me from my competition that allow me to charge six to 10 times, right? There's no such thing as a commoditized business. Most people think that there's just commodity. Oh, I just sell solar panels or I just sell pest control or I just sell wheat or I just sell hay or, you know, what, whatever it is, right? The, the commodity, I, I can't really differentiate or the only thing I can differentiate is on price or maybe, a, you know, a little bit of brand, you know, whatever. No. You have the ability to serve. And it's the question is how? How are you going to differentiate? And, and because of this, these guys spend a dollar fifty on an experience and time and energy. And they showed that they care about me. Now all of a sudden I'm willing to spend two to three hundred dollars more per night, maybe even sometimes five hundred to a thousand dollars a night in exchange for a dollar fifty. But energy and time and a process that was actually thought about. And so that, that's a question that we always have to ask is like, how am I serving my customers? In what way can I better service my customers? Which way can we create incredible buy-in? For example, with this bug killer case, you know, they would come in with like seven technicians. They would spend hours. They'd be on their hands and knees scrubbing. They made sure that there was not a bug in the room. This wasn't pest control in which they're controlling them and putting them in the different walls and scaring them out and just kind of keeping them there. No, they were eliminating the bugs. The, it was that level of service, that level of excellence. And in turn, that, that helped with the third, the third S, which is satisfaction. Yeah, not only satisfaction, but just getting people to like, wow, I've never had an experience like that. Wow, man. Although I had to do some work in preparation for this, I would pay every dime plus 10 in order to get whatever service that I got, right? You got to be, are they, did you consciously think about their satisfaction with the process that you created? And then last but not least, you got to survive. You got to make sure that everything is in line, that you continue to thrive, that you continue to deliver, that you, that you create 
this this culture that is going to demand. And, and that's uh, one thing that he talks about um, with employees. There's five things that you got to you got to think about when you're talking about surviving and thriving. You got to think about how you hire, which you heard me talk about that, how you train, which you heard me talk about. What am I doing? What am I doing to make sure that my people have all the knowledge that I have downloaded to them. It's not just written down, but it is trained. It's followed up on it. It's executed and, and there's testing and everything else that goes. How do you supervise? Now, it's interesting. Um, they trained professionals. They got these people to a super high level of execution. They, they hired only perfectionists. And in this particular case, they would send around like a QA every once in a while. They would check in, call the customer, go and see the account, make sure that they were delivered on. Now, a lot of people think, oh, that's, that's for QA. That's to make sure that we're delivering good service or whatnot. But this was actually a little bit different. It was, it was tied with their compensations because perfectionists, the thing that they want to be is recognized. They want to be recognized for the incredible work that they're doing. So then they had past reports and everybody's striving for 100%. Um, some of you guys that follow me on Facebook may have seen a little, a little post that I did. Let me pull it up in which, in which I talked about, here we go. For those who are, it says great motto in business to live by mistakes are forgiven. Liars are not. So one of the, one of the things that these guys created was a culture of, Hey, it's okay to make mistakes. Mistakes are very costly. The cost of doing a mistake is very high. But mistakes are forgiven and mistakes are okay, but they should not and will not be repeated, right? But if you lie and you cover up, that is not forgiven, right? And so as business owners, it's a challenge. We want to incentivize, we want to incentivize transparency of what's actually going on. How am I servicing these customers? And I am, am I better taken care of? Which, which goes along with how do I evaluate? And then ultimately, how do I compensate? Remember, people are compensated in more ways than just money, right? Time, energy, and money are the three ways. And how am I adding energy to this person's life through the culture that I'm creating? How am I giving back and more time and, and creating more abundance in this person's life? Are there ways that outside of compensation that I'm serving them the intangibles, right? And so ultimately choose, choose to be excellent. So those were a few of the notes that came, came from that, uh, from that class today. Um, couple, couple other things actually. So negotiations, um, we're going to talk about negotiations and then we'll uh, save some of this for the next episode. But, uh, we, we had the opportunity to do new negotiations. So the way it works here is they give us the case, the situation, and then we're each assigned roles. So in this, in this particular case, uh, there was a three way uh, three-way negotiation. They were three potential partners. They had come, created a framework months earlier. Now that they were raising money, they needed to finalize their operating agreement. It needed to finalize their salary, their equity structure, different things. So we had to get together, three of us playing different roles. Certain things were different, were important to different individuals. Something that was important to me wasn't necessarily important to a potential partner, so on and so forth. So that was, that was the, uh, reference, uh, that, uh, uh, that we did this particular case study. And then afterwards we talked about, okay, what are the key principles, the key takeaways that we want to take from these negotiation? Okay. So one of, uh, there's in negotiations, we want the, the number one thing is we have to maintain trust uh, or, or we have to retain trust. And 
the these are the top destroyers of trust in negotiation because ultimately the only way you can get a deal done is if there is trust. So when when negotiating, don't negotiate one-sided. This is on yours. And in this particular case, there was a guy named Michael. He couldn't present this as this is my company, right? He was bringing on uh, potential partners. It needed to be done in in a in a very like like what's in it, what's best for all of us. Treating uh, and 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 with and with this, making sure that you're not treating other potential partners in the deal as lesser partners. You know, they may not have equal equity, but you definitely can't. Uh, you would destroy trust from there. Um, here's from my notes: negotiations. Uh, who? So these are ways that you destroy trust. Negotiations who don't seem to understand or acknowledge other parties' key issues, concerns, or fears. Okay. So one thing that I've learned in negotiations when you approach it. You need to be very transparent and you need to get transparency from the person you're negotiating exactly those things. What are my key issues? Okay. What are the things that are most important to me? What are my concerns and what are my fears? Because if I don't understand that, I don't know how to overcome it. I don't know how to better serve them. Actually, this, this is a story. You guys are going to love the story. It, um, uh, it, from my very first, uh, first year here at my, at my cohort. With negotiations, we were told this story, and it has to do with an orange. Okay, there was there was two two uh, uh, a brother and a sister. They were fighting over an orange, and mom comes in and sees that they're fighting over who gets the last orange, and thinking, "Hey, let's let's just split it." So she takes the orange, cuts it in half, gives one half to one and one half to the other. Okay, the brother immediately runs over to the garbage, peels the orange. Grabs the fruit, throws the peel in the garbage, and starts eating, eating the orange. The sister runs to the kitchen, peels the orange, throws the fruit in the garbage, takes the peel, and starts making a cake. But then she was only able to make half of the, the size of cake that she wanted. What was the moral of the story? Ultimately, both could have gotten the whole thing of what they wanted had they been transparent and upfront that this is what I want. Hey, brother, I just need... The uh, what I really want from this orange is just the peel. I'm trying to make a cake, and this and the brother could have told the sister, "Hey, all I need is the fruit." Had they done that, they would have both gotten one of each, du thus duplicating, duplicating the orange. <clears throat> In life, this is how negotiation works. Sometimes is that you can actually grow the pie and get more of the total. If you're willing to give on a few things that are important to the others and they're willing to give on things that are important to you. And so understanding what the key issues, what the desires are, what are the fears, what are what are the concerns? And if you can address those up front, it's, a, it's very likely that you can get to a standard negotiate or negotiated terms that work well for both of you. Um, the other one is no, uh, a thing that can destroy trust is negotiators that haggle over everything. Negotiators that just want to win on, say there's four different things that you're trying to negotiate and you just want to haggle and win on every single thing. If it's not important to you, let them win in trade for something that is more important to you. Don't haggle on every single thing. You, it's, it's okay to lose a little here if you can win somewhere else. And then last but not least, negotiators who focus too narrowly on this negotiation rather than the future of, of the particular, of whatever it may be. In, in in this particular case, you are trying to create a a partnership that's supposed to last for 
forever, right? Like, like you're hoping that until you die or, or exit 10 years from now or whatever, whatever it is. So the worst thing that you could do is screw somebody in this upfront negotiation and they're just going to hold it against you. And then, you know, two months from down, down the road, you're going to have a board discussion and you're going to be at each other's throats and you're going to be like this, that, and the other. When you negotiate every single little thing and, and you, and you're only thought about what's happening in the moment rather than thinking about the future relationship. Not only does this apply in negotiating partnerships, but this, this applies in business. If I'm negotiating a real estate deal and this particular real estate agent or client that or person that owns a bunch of real estate, we're doing this one deal. I got to think to myself, if I treat, if we can come to a fair deal where both feel it win, will this increase my likelihood to be able to continue to negotiate more deals with this particular individual? And I can create more and more value outside of this one negotiation. Okay. This is an absolutely imperative thing that you have to understand as a business owner, whether it's a small term negotiation with an employee on their employee contract, a, uh, an equity split, a potential customer, a someone someone that is a supplier of goods um, and services to your business. You got to think outside of this particular situation. This is extremely hard for me because I love to haggle. I love to negotiate. Yeah, I'm the kind of guy that when I'm down in Mexico and the little kids come up and they're they're like trying to offer me chiclets for a dollar, I try to negotiate them down to like. 20 cents just for the game. I love it. But just so you know, this is the way I handle it. I get them down to 20 cents and I usually give them $5 and tell them to keep the change. But for me, it's, it's a game. And I got to realize, I got to remember that, that I have to get out of this particular situation. It's got to be a win. The more people that win, the more, and there's potential to grow the potential, the whole pie. And, and here's the interesting thing is like, because in this negotiation, there was four things that we were negotiating over and each subject was worth more to one person out of the three than, than the other two. And so what we did is I came in and I used these tactics and we said, okay, well, how can we maximize the value for everybody? And, and the way that they had it broken down in like a scorecard or whatnot, my group scored the highest on total score, total pie grown for the whole organization, more than anybody out of the, so our group of three, more than the other 168. And the reason is because we focused on this. Now, I wasn't the top scorer for my particular role and neither was, you know, one, someone else, but together we won greater because we understood we were building a business. Okay. So remember that. Hopefully you guys have gained some knowledge. Hopefully you gained some wisdom. Harvard is absolutely phenomenal. If you aren't subscribing to the Founder Podcast, please be please be sure to do so. Also, as just a little fun little fun uh, thing that dangling that we're gonna dangle out here, I'm going to be launching a weekly mastermind in which we are gonna get together as business owners, that people that are potentially launching. And we're going to highlight one business owner. We're going to talk through the issues. We're going to start doing this on a weekly basis. This product is going to be launched here really soon. I'm excited. It's part of the Founder Project. Anyways, really exciting things going on. Make it a great day. Until next time.